Let's do a quick review of last time. Last time there was a comparison between Naomi and Ruth. Naomi had told her daughters-in-law and Ruth to go back to Moab. And we talked about the god Chemosh. And it was mind-boggling that Naomi would want to send her daughters-in-law back to Moab and worship the god Chemosh. Because Naomi knew better than anybody that Yodehave, Yahweh, was the Lord and creator of the universe. So it was, it was kind of uh, a troubling, in a sense, and a couple of scholars had said it was troubling that she would do that. She would deliberately want them to go back and not follow her back from Moab to Jerusalem, to, is, to uh, Bethlehem. So, but then Ruth gave some of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. These are the great words. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Those are some of the most beautiful words. And you know, the other thing to consider here is that Naomi had lost her husband and her two children, her two, her two sons. She had already sent Orpah back, and Ruth was the only one that was remaining. And in a, in a sense, we discussed last time that I believe that that was really to reaffirm Naomi that God was with her she wasn't going to leave she wasn't going to go anywhere she was going to follow Naomi everywhere and be part of her family um, Ruth's faith here for a minute Ruth was a Moabite so what she's really doing you remember we talked about last week that uh, you were identified by the God that you worshiped Chemosh was the Moabite God and some would even say the Ammonite God but she turned her back on her former way of life. You know, that's almost like, that's almost like salvation, right? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you turn your back on your old life and you follow a new way of life. This is a picture, a wonderful picture of Ruth turning her back on her former life, her family, her friends, her God, and she's going now in the nation of Israel's direction. And then... We also looked at the fact that when Naomi gets back to Bethlehem and the people, the ladies of Bethlehem, saw her coming in, they, mum they mumbled among themselves and murmured, Is this Naomi? Ten years at least had passed. But Naomi was, had, I guess, obviously aged a lot in those ten years. Of course, if you lose your husband and your kids, you've had problems. I can see where that can affect. As she comes back, she lashes out at these women. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me beautiful. My life is bitter, and God has made it bitter. And that's a, yeah, we, we also talked about putting what's in the past behind us, submitting it under the, uh, under the cross of Christ and letting go of it because it will chew us up and tear us up, that we go forward knowing that God is in control of our lives. And then lastly, God's timing, they just happened to come back at the beginning of the barley season, or the harvest, the, uh, the, the barley harvest. So that's where we are today. 
What we're going to learn today is that God guides our steps. And this is in verses 1 through 3, and we look at the setting. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a man worthy, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, there's four details here that are given about Boaz. The first detail is that he is a relative, that is, a bloodline. You remember I talked about the importance of bloodline in the Old Testament and also bloodline in the New Testament because a lot of the New Testament is based on the Old Testament bloodlines. So bloodlines are very, very, very important. Yada, that's the word for relative, yada, which refers to that family bloodline. So you can kind of see God now orchestrating events in Naomi's life and also in Ruth's life. Um, Hael, he was a worthy man, and it has multiple meanings. Let me share some of them with you. Um, when, it, when, he, when the writer says that uh, Boaz was a worthy man, it could mean standing in the community, a man of noble character, or a man of wealth. I think all three apply. Boaz was well known in the community. He was a man of great character, which we'll find out as we go through the book of Ruth. But also, he was a wealthy man. He was in good shape. And uh, J.D. Sashin says that Boaz was not your ordinary Israelite. He was somebody that was very, very important. And so, he was also of the, of the clan. There was a social structure. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Naomi has nothing. Ruth really has nothing. But when Boaz comes on the scene, if things play out the way we think it's going to play out, their social status is going to climb. Do you remember when Naomi said, God took me away full, I went away full, but God brought me back empty? Sometimes in our lives, brothers and sisters, things happen to us and we have to cling to the fact that God is in charge. God is in control of our lives. If he wasn't, we could freak out really bad. But God doesn't want us doing that. Yes, things happen. Things come along. It looks bad. But I'm going to tell you, ultimately, God is in control. And then his name, Boaz. You know what this means? In the strength of Yahweh. Sounds like a shady character to me, right? <laughs> Sounds like a really good guy. I still think there's something in a, in a name, particularly in the Old Testament, in the strength of Yahweh. So here you have this Boaz now coming on to the scene. I like what Larry Richards and Lawrence Richards say in their commentary. In the Old Testament law, a near relative had the right to act on behalf of a person in trouble or danger. That would be Naomi, and that would be Ruth. When a person or possessions were in the grip of hostile power, the kingsman might act to redeem or win the release and freedom. Boaz is that kingsman. Wow, what a stroke of luck, right? What a stroke of luck. Mm. 
Not really. I want us to understand something here. Yes, Naomi had a difficult time, and I get that, and I can understand why she's bitter. And actually, that dissipates here as we read this text. But I want you to understand something, that yes, they, they fled famine. They, they probably shouldn't have gone. They went away from Bethlehem, the house of bread. And yet, God restored the house of Israel with bread, with food. And Naomi now comes back. She's still bitter. But what she's failing to realize is that God has a plan. And we have to cling to that. We have to cling to the fact that God has a plan for your life and for mine. Now, we look at the providence, and this is in verses 2 and 3. So the setting, Boaz now is mentioned here. He's brought into the, to the narrative. Now watch what happens. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her daughter, she said to her, Go, my daughter. Isn't it interesting? Go, my daughter. Naomi sees her now as her daughter. Not a, not a daughter-in-law. Because, see, Naomi, Ruth had won the day when she said, Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you die, I will die. I am sticking by you. I will never leave you. And so now you notice here that Naomi's not saying... She's not bitter. She's not. She just said, go, my daughter. I wonder if somewhere in Naomi's heart, something happened. Maybe she got to the place where she trusted. Maybe when she came in and she lashed out at the women of the city. Maybe seeing the, the, the timing of their return. Maybe it started softening her heart. But she tells her to go. Now, again, the words, Ruth the Moabite. She's not an Israelite. Even though she's transferred it, she's a Moabite. And the writer's letting us know that she's still an alien from a foreign land. The, the word glean here is lakot. Lakot. And it means to gather and gather ears of corn. And... Um, here you can, this is just a, a quick picture. We'll get to this in just a minute. But she's going around picking up what is left over from what the harvesters have done. The harvesters are out in front, and, and Ruth is back picking up whatever she can find uh, to gather. She will. And then it says, Whose sight I shall find favor. Matzahin. Matzahin. And it's a courtroom setting. And in the courtroom setting, it's not like justification where Paul uses it in the, in the New Testament, but it's a courtroom setting, uh, something like this. I am at the mercy of the king. Matzahin. I am at the mercy of the king. Ruth realized she realizes the only way that she's going to get anything is to be at the mercy of someone else. There is an element here of humility. 
When we come to the New Testament, we're in the Old Testament as well. We got to be careful to watch our pride. Remember, God does not like pride. What he does like is those who are humble. And I believe this is a great picture of Ruth realizing, you know, we've got nothing except Yahweh, and I've, I'm at his mercy. It's beautiful. This is beautiful. I like what Daniel Block says. And this is, this is the difference between the Moabites. Remember, if you go from Israel to uh, Moab, Alans were not treated well at all. But if you were coming from another country into Israel, this is what you would encounter. The Mosaic law displayed particular compassion for aliens. That's Ruth. The orphan and the widow. By prescribing that harvesters deliberately leave grain in the corners of their fields for these economically vulnerable classes and not go back to gather ears of grain that they might have dropped. So in other words, if you were an alien and you were living in Israel, you could go to this corner and you could go and you could pick up grain. You could go to this corner and you could pick up what the harvesters left. You could go to that corner, that corner. And, and it was a way that God provided for those who were less fortunate. By the way, when we come to the New Testament, it talks about widows and those who are in need, that the church is to help those. And uh, this is simply God's way of showing mercy to those who need it. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were absolutely at the mercy of God. Yep. That's right, Ron. Definitely times in our lives when we are at the mercies of God. And let me ask you a second question. Was there ever a time that God did not deliver for you? Oh, I can think of a lot of times when the clock was ticking down and I got a little concerned but I can honestly tell you that God always provided for my needs. Now, when I say needs, it doesn't mean that God always provided my wants. Wants and needs are two different things. But definitely God has, has provided here for, for Naomi and for Ruth. Now the interesting part of this story. So she set out, this is verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, that's a key word in this text, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Just happened. Wow, what luck, right? <laughs> Who was from the clan of Elimelech? Kara. Kara, that's the word for happened. That's a big word here. Most scholars translate that. You ready for this? Luck. And a lot of, I, I would probably uh, maybe put something like a streak of fortunate. <laughs> but she just happens to come to this field. Boy, what luck. Wow. And you, you, you think about this. She talks to this foreman, and then the, the foreman, which will be asking or answering questions here in just a, just a few minutes. Um, 
she says, can I, can I gather in this field? And the foreman will say, yes, you can go ahead and gather. And it just happened to belong to Boaz, a family member who is a wealthy guy, who is of noble character, just happened. Boy, what luck. You know what? What I see here is God guiding her steps. Again, I think it's worth pointing out. Brothers and sisters, when things happen to you in your life, I want you to drive this down in your heart. When things happen to you in your life that do not make sense, that do not look right, that sometimes hurt, I want you to cling to this for a minute. I want you to be reminded that God is guiding your steps. And he will do so all the way through. And this is another interesting thing. And two scholars brought this up, and I thought it was very important to add. Yes, you could translate that, what luck? Or, wow, how fortunate? But this is something to be mindful of. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That's in Proverbs 16.33. Remember when we preached through Jonah a couple of months ago? And the lot was cast and it fell on Jonah. Who was directing that? God was directing it. Who's directing this point in her life? Needing the mercy of God. God is the one directing her. Same with you. Same with me. God is directing us no matter what is going down in our lives. No matter what's falling down around us. I'm going to tell you this. You can trust God. Hang on. Hold on. Because God is guarding and guiding your steps. And it will ultimately bend end in God's perfect plan and we know that God causes all things this is Romans 8 28 we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God those who are called according to his promise again everything that you face in your life and my life God works out you don't get a promotion Maybe there's a reason you didn't get the promotion. Somewhere down the road, God's going to give you something better. That's happened to me in my own life. And I know you guys know the story when I was in the Army. And boy, I was getting ridiculed and ran over by, by this one sergeant. And I was a sergeant. But then I, I got, it got so bad, I flew to Florida from Hawaii just to get away from it. When I came back, guess who was in charge of the section? I was. How did that happen? That was the hand of God. God said, okay, you've bothered my servant enough. Now I'm going to take care of it. Don't give up. Don't give up. God has a plan for your life. And he's going to work all of this out. And I know if you're sitting there and I'm standing here, we have all said this. God, you need to hurry up because you're late. Right? Uh that's called wanting to get out of the situation right now. Let it, let it play through, please. Just let it play through. I, I, I wish I'd have learned this as a, as a younger Christian so I wouldn't have been so antsy. Just to trust him. You could say it this way, just tread water until you're ready to swim. Just stay the course. Keep moving forward. God has this. 
You know, if I didn't believe that God guides our steps, I would quit. Because if God doesn't guide my steps, boy, I'm in deep trouble because I, I would not run the ship very well. <laughs> we would be off course, out drifting. But, you know, and even sometimes when, when I think that I'm making a, a decision, and I've had this play out in my mind before. Well, if I would have done this back when I was 31, it might be totally different now. And my wife reminds me, no, it wasn't. You just go a different track, and he's going to pull you right back where you need to be. She's reminded me of that several times. Boy, if I would have taken that church when I was 31, 32, and over here, Audrey says, no, you learned the same lesson just in a different place. It put you back on track. So what I'm saying is, yeah, you need to be smart, and I think Ruth was smart here. She, she wanted to get food for her mother, her mother-in-law, even though I consider it now a mother-daughter relationship. She wanted to help. And smartly, she went to the field, and smartly, she asked the foreman, who was a young guy, if she could glean, and he said, yes, go ahead. Oh, and by the way, God guards and guides our steps, but he is also merciful. God is merciful. Can I get a, a, a witness on that? God is merciful? Yeah, he's very merciful. By the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul says. And we could all say that, right? By the grace of God, we are what we are. Now we look at uh, the character now. And behold. That's an interesting word. And behold. Hene. That's the Hebrew word, hene. Behold. What this does is it shifts now from Ruth to Boaz. It's like the writer saying, and behold. But it's even more than that. It's wonder and amazement that Boaz would now show up. Ruth's out there gleaning, and behold. Wow, I'm shocked that Boaz actually shows up. Just happens to show up. <laughs> no. That's God-ordained. Have you ever had a behold moment in your life? I've had bunches of them. One of them I remember is when we were at Bible college and I was making 36 cents a week. <laughs> Roughly. My, 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 my first church, uh, it was out in the middle of uh, the woods, basically. And the way that you told people to get there was you... You go out to the old oak tree, you make a right. When you find the broken down trailer, you make a left, and it's out there. God bless that little church. They paid me $100 a week to preach. And all the food I could eat on Sunday because I'd go to the deacon's places and eat. But there was a time when we needed $250 to get our broken down car fixed. I said, God, we don't have the money. And then, right after saying that, I went to the white mailbox. We used to call it the great God giver. <laughs> it was a big white mailbox, and every day at a certain time, the migration would start. <laughs> and we would go to the big box, and everybody would open it thinking somebody had, God had laid on their heart to give us $1,000 or something. 
because we didn't have a lot of money then. Seriously, $400 a month when you're used to making $3,000 a month as a sergeant in the Army. And you go to $400 a month. When I left the Army, that's what I was making with full medical and dental. That day I opened the box up, pulled a thing out, and I go, well, the car repair was $250. And when I opened the envelope up, it was from First Baptist Church in Moments, Audrey's hometown, and said, God laid it on our heart to send you this money. It was $250. Exactly the money that we needed. Yeah. I know. Would have cost more than that, but see, when the, the, at that time, the church that we attended, there was a mechanic there who gave me a break on fixing the car. He said, it's going to be $250, and I said, just give me a few days. Let me see what I can come up with. And when I went to the mailbox, opened it up, I just went, Wow. I've had stuff like that happen all through my ministry. It's like, okay, God, <laughs> you know, if I can't drive, <laughs> and he fixed it. It was exactly what we needed. I still wish it had been $50 more to get some gas, but, <laughs> but, but <laughs> that, that's for another mailbox story. They call it the Great God Mailbox. You, every day at 2.30, people would migrate. To, I'd never forget that. I said, I said to my friend one day, I said, boy, this really tests your faith, doesn't it? He says, yeah, I'm going to the faith mailbox. <laughs> and behold, just happens. Now watch Boaz. Boaz came from Bethlehem. It's in the realm of Bethlehem. Uh, but he came from the city, and of course the workers are out there working. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered and said, the Lord bless you. You could translate Boaz's response this way, the Lord be near you. Hmm. And notice the workers responded, the Lord bless you. You could say it this way. May God's divine favor rest on you. Wow. Have you ever had a boss like this? I have had some of them. Boaz is not that boss. Do you see the relationship here? You got a wealthy guy who could just say, get busy, work, 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 work. But you got a boss here who comes up and says, may the Lord be with you. Yeah. I could see where he's of noble character and that he's his name and strength of Yahweh. Yeah, I can, I can make the connection. But even more important are, is the worker's response to Boaz. May God's favor rest upon you. That's a close relationship. That doesn't sound like somebody that's a tyrant, that's, that's, that's a slave owner that, that beats them. That sounds like a guy who has understood that his wealth belongs to God and that he's not lording it over them. You don't see that anywhere in here when you read it. He's just nice to these people. You know, I did something fun this week. I just, I, I, I googled 
best places to work. Best places to work. I don't know. Some sometimes I get off on my sermons, but it's okay. But no, it's it's in this it's in this environment. Best place to work. So I googled that and I came to Fortune 100. It was a magazine. You ready for the best place in America to work? Came out this year. Came out in February. So this is it's only four months later. This is the best place according to Forbes 100, Fortune 100, the best place to work. Hilton. Full benefits, medical, dental, you get raises, the workers are part of the team, the bosses have had training, it is one of the best places in America to work. 97, 97% satisfaction rate among the employees, and when asked this question, are you proud to work here, 98% said they were proud to work there. Why is that? Because Hilton invests in their employees. I see an investment here. I don't see somebody lording over. And by the way, I'm not saying go stay at the Hilton. I don't want that to be, uh, for those watching by Facebook, I'm, not, I'm just saying I'm using this as an illustration. I'm not promoting anybody. This sermon is not brought to you by Hilton. But I, this is a character issue. This speaks volumes to me. That Boaz doesn't see himself as some high and exalted where he can't reach down and talk to people. No, I, this says, look, I care about you. May God be with you. That's the way it should be in the church. Care about one another. May God be with you. May God go with you. May God guard you. May God guide you. This speaks volume. This speaks volumes to me about Boaz, because it it, it not only it, I, is his business in his business is it God led, but he genuinely cares about these people, and you'll see it as as this plays out. Now we get to the curiosity. Verses five through seven, and then we're going to land this. What I someday when I teach preaching, I'm going to talk to the students about you have the runway and that's the takeoff. When you get up in the air, you show the congregation the lay of the land, and then you have to land it. You can't stay up there all day. <laughs> so it's it's some some preachers they 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 get to the back door and they just keep talking. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You want to land it. So we're getting ready to land it. Now notice verse. Five. Then Boaz said to the young man, Nara, Nara, the young man means servant. Well, we also know that he's going to be a foreman who was in charge of the reapers. Whose young woman is this? Notice what he does not ask. This is key. Whose young woman is this? He doesn't ask what is her name. He realizes that Ruth is somebody's servant or connected in some way to somebody else. He doesn't say, hey, what is, what is her name? He says, who is she connected to? 
this is interesting too. This is interesting too. Now this is in the feminine, the word young, nara, same as the man, which is masculine, but the nuances changed when it gets to the woman. Obviously the emphasis is on she's young, Boaz is a little older, we know that. But it can also be, it can also be that when he saw her, he's asking this word young, Nara can also be inquisitive about her marriage status. Could this have been that Boaz looked at her and went, wow. I remember when Audrey and I first met, she's going, oh, please don't say that. I got lost the first night, you all know that story, but then the second night I got to the church and Audrey was walking around like this and I came through the door and almost hit her. And she says, I'm Audrey, and I said, hey, well, I, I know, you were supposed to meet me last night and the land navigation expert got lost. <laughs> so, so I met her and I go, boy, I like this church. <laughs> It could have been something like that by this young woman where he goes, hey, who does she belong to? And possibly with the thought of her marriage availability. I honestly, I kind of think, even though later on he's going to say, well, I have to, I'm not the closest redeemer. Somebody else is there and it works out. But, I think he liked her at first sight. I get that. I understand it. When I first saw Audrey, I thought, wow, she's cute. Where do I get baptized? <laughs> right here. <laughs> now, this part, he's asking, and now his foreman, we, we come to know it's a foreman, and the servant who was in charge. So the young man who Boaz asked is in charge of the reapers and answered, she is a young Moabite woman. There again, identifying her as an alien. Oh, wow. Wow, as an alien again. And Boaz is going to so, show such compassion for her. Who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And this is what the servant foreman said. Verse 7. She said, please let me glean and gather from among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. She didn't just ask to glean. She asked to go after the harvesters, after the reapers. That be bold. That was bold. Because they got the four corners. You can get that. 
Naomi or Ruth asked something a little different. To grab these. That's a lot more. Now, I don't know, but I think, and Boaz said that he doesn't want these women touched, but I, I bet you the young servant leader was like, yeah, you can go ahead. You're so pretty. Go ahead. I see here, I see here God's hand. I see God's hand in the loss of Naomi's family, as difficult as that was. I see God's hand as they come back just at the harvest time, and Israel had just gotten all of its bread back. I see the hand of God when Ruth says, let me go in, because her mother-in-law, obviously not able to do this, she's an older woman, so Ruth saw that her mother, mother-in-law, needed help and she said let me go to that field and glean but then to try to take care of her mother-in-law mother in a greater realm she said I want to get these so that we have an abundance three quick thoughts number one God is at work in your life Please believe that. Not just in Ruth's life, not just in Naomi, but in little old you and little old me, God is at work. Don't ever forget that. No matter what the pain is, no matter what the cost is, God is at work. And it will come out exactly the way God wants it to come out. You have to cling to that. That's the hope that we have. Secondly, he has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Guarantee it. And nothing will thwart that plan. Nothing. Sometimes I know, brothers and sisters, it just seems like this is a chaotic mess. But when you, when you have those chaotic messes, remember who is at the helm. God is. And thirdly, to know that God is merciful. He gives us what we do not deserve. Isn't that true? He gives us what we do not deserve. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for Ruth. We thank you for Boaz. We thank you for Naomi. We thank you for this story of how you're guiding these events. Father, we thank you for our lives. You're guiding our lives. We trust you. Even though circumstances look bad, situations look bad, things get difficult, Father, help us to cling to the promise that you are working everything out for our good. Help us to not blame you, but to love you. Help us not to look for a way out, but look way up to your throne keep us focused on following you each day 
no matter what the cost, no matter what the trouble. And Father, we realize there's going to be great days. Wherever you are this morning in your walk, you will laugh again. You will laugh again. Father, I ask that you have your way with your people during this invitation. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning. You come as God has spoken to your heart. a new one. What's this one, Susie? Okay, so that's August 13th. Okay. Where where did you say you're meeting? Okay. School starts seventeenth, right? Okay, so this is still is it is it then then the nineteenth. Okay okay. Um men's brotherhood, that's August thirteenth, that's the same day. That's <laughs> that's that's that evening. So you can go eat ice cream and then come stuff your face with hot dogs and anything. So um then we have Larry, you wanna say something about the the Lions Club. Seventeenth. Okay. Okay. Okay.
Okay, so the 17th is the big one. Still see Larry if you want to do on the 10th to help, right? You, they can they can help do that too. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, and we've got the. Yeah, that's coming up. That. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, my my dad made me listen to country music. Okay. Yeah, the, but I'm I'm sure it's good. I'm sh I'm sure it's good. Um, trail life. I'm hoping this week <laughs> they're just slow getting this done. We've got everything turned in, but this is going to be for boys uh, kindergarten through eighth grade. You all already know that, um, and we've got the leaders already in place. So hopefully, and we've already had families outside of our church asking about this program. So um, anyway, that's coming. And okay, the, you you have this uh, the senior potluck, the coffee talk. Does coffee actually talk or? Yeah, yeah. And then you have the ice cream social, and that's. Or something. I always thought you were older than me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you. Yeah. Okay. All right, you guys ready to go out and make it a great week? All right, Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you bless your people here as they go out. Use them in your service and also remind them lord that you are in charge of their lives you will take care of them we thank you we love you we can never give back to what you've given us thank you for salvation in christ go with us now guide us and lead us in jesus name amen have a great week everybody have a great week <laughs>